Hey, my name is Patrick Kwok Chun. I play Gen Reese on Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. United Army to the Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I don't know why my voice did that, but today <laughs> on the show, well, it's super cool because if you're a Star Trek Discovery fan, you're going to be happy to hear from Patrick Kwok Chun. Yeah, Jeff sat down and talked with him. He plays Lieutenant Jin Rees on Discovery, which if you haven't watched Discovery, it is one of my favorite Star Trek shows. I love that show. I, I am not caught up on season three yet, um, but I've watched the first two seasons and they are phenomenal. Dude, Michael quickly became one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That show did something I thought Star Trek would never do. Because you watch the first episode of season one, and then uh-huh. by the time you're on the second episode, you're watching a different show. Like episode one, episode two, they they flip it on its head <laughs> so fast. And what do you they, think it, of the oh, uh, adolescent spot kind of thing going on? I like it. I, I, I like it. I think it's good. I, I, I like the take on it. It's fun. How many timelines and eras are they going to explore in the Star Trek universe? Because there is something to be said about keeping something completely mysterious. And yeah. it just opened up everything. You know what I mean? Right, right. But I mean, it, I think I don't I don't think they've touched anything that is something that needs to be left mysterious, right? They've they've touched on a lot of stuff that is yeah. like, given backstory stuff that wasn't there before. But it's all stuff that's like, oh, this is good new, like Captain Pike, right? They've done a lot with Captain Pike, and it's it's really cool. But it's yeah. not stuff that's like, oh, if this, if this was still a mystery, it would be better. It's stuff that's like, oh, now I understand this this thing more rather than it being right. a bad thing. They, they did a really good job walking that line. It's fun ha- watching Captain Pike's adventures. Yeah, it really has been. You know, because he's more like the he's more like Kirk. Yeah, in some a, ways, a little a little more, yeah, a little more headstrong, but a little uh, bit more refined. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of he is kind of the in between between Jean Luc and Kirk, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like Jean Luc was very refined, very like everything was had a logical and now kind of I don't know I don't want to say logical, but he was very smart. You know what I mean? He, he oh, looked yeah. at things yeah. in a tactile way. Where Kirk was just like, I'm just going to beat the crap out of you and do what I want. But he more he more relied on emotions, which is why the countermounts of Spock was really good for him in the original show. Yeah, well. Instead of us pontificating about Star Trek, should we just sit back and listen to Patrick Kwok Chun in his own words? We should. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. We have a very special episode today because our guest is Mr. Patrick Kwok Chun 
from the tele- television show Star Trek Discovery. How's it going, Patrick? I'm really well, and you? It's going well. Before the interview, I did a bunch of research on you. Yeah. And I will say, your life is actually very fascinating. Oh, oh really? That's, that's kind of cool to hear. <laughs> it, it is. Um, so I was going through some of your prior tweets, and I read that you mentioned that your parents, when you grew up in Canada, owned a convenience store for 25 years. And during that time, they experienced things like theft, vandalism, and racism. So I thought to myself, what kind of impact did that have on you growing up and now as an adult as well? Yeah. You know, to, to, to be honest, those incidents happened when I was fairly young. I was probably like eight or maybe eight or 10 or 11. So, you know, I remember my parents, the outrage on their face, the anger that I saw, the hurt that they felt. But at the time, obviously, I couldn't fully comprehend that level of violation when you're, you know, regarded as something other, when you're being insulted for the way that you look or the way that you sound in a country that you've given so much of, 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 of who you are for the betterment of your family to, to, to give them an opportunity that you didn't have in the country that you were born in. So I'm fortunate enough to, to have been raised in an area of Montreal that was very diverse. So I had a lot of friends who were South, South Asian, who were Black, who were Caucasian, who were Asian. So I grew up in a very multicultural environment. But when you ask about what, how it changed my worldview, to be honest, I think I have my guard up a lot of the time especially in sketchy situations, you know, if I'm for some reason going to a a small town where I feel I'm, you know, I'll stick out like a sore thumb because I'm the only Asian person in that town. I worry or I anticipate getting, you know, being the victim of, 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 of some sort of racial incident. It's happened to me in the past and usually when I'm least expecting it, which is really unfortunate. And it, it leaves a mark on you as a person. So, but that's the baggage that I carry as a person of color. And I talk to a lot of my friends who are black, who with the BLM movement, you know, they tell me about their experiences getting pulled over by police officers and how they fear for their life sometimes, or they have to manage it. And that's, the rea- that's their reality. And my reality is my reality. And it's unfortunately, yeah, changed my outlook a little bit, but well, was it something that your parents tried shielding from you when it was happening when you were younger? Or were they, did they have discussions with you about what was happening? No. <laughs> no, as, as a child of immigrants, they, unfortunately, they, they weren't able to, they didn't have that in their vocabulary to discuss those kind of issues. You know, it, it wasn't like they shielded it away from us. They just didn't know how to describe how they were feeling. I don't come from a very emotional family. I think that's part of the reason why I became an actor, because it's a safe spot to, to be, to get in touch with your emotions, to present the, the, the wide spectrum of your humanity for people to witness. So no, we didn't have those kind of conversations, unfortunately. We do have them now, but not at this time. No, I had to learn that on my own, which, you know, it's not a bad thing. And, and I think it's interesting that the show that you're on, Star Trek Discovery, as we'll go into a little bit later, is a show about a, a universe or a, a, the Federation that is all about equality and going, evolving past the point of these racial issues. Given your, some difficulties that you've had in the past, do you, does that also alter your perspective and your role in the show and how, or how you approach the show? How I approach the show? I mean, it's, it's, it's really part of the reason why I love being part of the show. Because 
we've reached a point in, in humanity where, you know, we can set aside those differences or we have the means to bridge those gaps, to strive to be better than what we are, to reach out and to embrace and to settle our differences through peace and not through war. So it's, it's really telling with the times that we're experiencing how important the show really is. That's why I'm so proud to be part of this, this franchise because, you know, as an actor, not every day, not every job is, is so creatively fulfilling. Sometimes it's just a paycheck. But with mm. being part of Star Trek Discovery, it's like we're promoting change and we're, we're helping people through these dark times. Now, being that after the show is science fiction, however, that aspect of it, the idea of reaching that level or the post maybe racism world, do you think that's part of more of the part of the fiction side of it? Or do you think that is something we'll eventually achieve? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, one can only hope that we'll be able to settle our differences and we'll be able to achieve that. Time will tell. I mean, I think Star Trek is, is definitely popular and adored because it does provide a mirror and a reflection of what society is experiencing. And to show that we can settle our differences, even though we look different or we think differently or we have different religious beliefs, there is a way and it's not through being combative, through fomenting divisiveness. It's through reaching some level of mutual understanding and acceptance. And that's the key. Yeah. And I must say, also, when I was looking, uh, learning a little bit more about you, I found one thing I found fascinating about you is that you discussed quite openly that you were diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I'm a high school teacher at a therapeutic high school. I have a lot of students who deal with ADHD and some other issues as well, but ADHD and uh, ADD is, is some of the stuff they deal with. Mm-hmm. So what, could I, what kind of advice would you give my students on how to deal with handling ADHD as, as, as an issue and how have you managed to be successful in coping with it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. I, I did get myself diagnosed maybe about a year and a half ago because I'm starting to have a, a, a bigger platform uh, and a bigger social uh, media reach. I think it's important to, to step up as a leader. And this is a cause that I'm very passionate about because it affects me on a day-to-day basis. So all I really can do is share my own experiences. And ADHD, there's such a wide spectrum of ADHD. You know, you could be hyperactive, you could be inattentive, you could have combined symptoms. So what I would tell your students is that you're not weird. You're not strange. You're just different. Your brain is wired differently. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, part of my success is because I have ADHD. I consider it my superpower that I just have to learn how to harness. You know, the cons are I'm very forgetful. I'm very impulsive sometimes. I procrastinate like you wouldn't believe. If I don't have a, <laughs> a sense of urgency in my life to meet a deadline, then I just, I, I'll leave it to the last minute. And I have for the, for the, for, for the longest time that, uh, that I can remember. But part of the benefits is that I can hyper-focus. If I'm passionate about something, I will commit. I will, I will not eat. I will not sleep. <laughs> you know? It's a great source of my creativity. I'm such an out-of-the-box thinker. I love jumping from project to project because it just it, it feeds me. And I tell your students that look at like all the really successful celebrities out there like Justin Timberlake, Adam Levine, Michael Phelps, Solange Knowles. These are all people who have gone on record saying that they have ADHD. And look at what they've been able to achieve. Now, to tell your students that There's also a lot of resources out there that I've tapped into. A great source on YouTube is Jessica McCabe, How to ADHD. 
very insightful, very nice digestible tidbits about ADHD and ways to hack your brain to manage those symptoms. There's a huge community of people out there with ADHD that you could tap into on Instagram, on social media, on Twitter. And the last thing I think I would tell your students is, you know, really limit your exposure to social media and your phone use. It's scientifically proven that They've crafted these devices and these, these apps to give you stimulus, to give you a sense of pleasure when you get those likes on social media, when you, you, know, when you get those messages, it kind of triggers your brain into to wanting more. And people with ADHD, we're, we're susceptible to that. I used to work at a casino in Montreal, and I just still remember people being glued to these slot machines. And I link it to our social media, our, our, our telephones. We're just getting this information, this like constant stimulus. So try not to be a puppet, you know, try to be, try to be the puppeteer, you know, try to try to take control of your life because yeah, you don't want, you don't want your brain to kind of give up or not meet its full potential because your brain does have a lot of potential. You just haven't harnessed it yet. I, I, I must admit, with when you mentioned things with the the phone and everything else, that's good advice for I think almost everybody at this point. We try. I think we all need to be better at walking away from our devices. Oh, dude, I've like I am I'm I'm um, uh, sorry, I I'm addicted to my phone. Don't get yeah. me wrong. You know, even though I, I preach all these things, like it's hard for me to do it myself. But the wonderful thing about getting diagnosed with ADHD is. It's given me that knowledge. It, it, it's given me greater understanding of how my brain works, how my brain, I like to use the term, tries to play tricks on me, to be lazy, to not meet the deadlines that I need to meet, to not work. And so I have more and more tools in my tool belt, how to hack my brain, how to manage and how to deke my brain from, from stopping me from doing what I need to do to lead a nice, productive, successful life. And telephone use is one of them. I'm slowly building my gym because of the pandemic that we're facing. So I'm building a a gym in my house and I love building the gym more than actually working out (laughs) because it's a creative (laughs) project calls for like some vision, some creativity. But every morning I leave my telephone the night before downstairs in my family room. I leave my computer. I don't touch it in the morning because I know if I touch it and I go on social media, I will spend the next 30 minutes to an hour just scrolling, looking at the news getting information that I don't need at that time in the morning. What I need in the morning is my, my meditation, my, my working out schedule, and I can always go to my phone when I need to. But you have to, you're in control. You have to be able to set those kind of roadblocks for yourself. And it, 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 you have to start creating those small steps. You're not, it's not going to change overnight by no means, but you know, little by little, you have to work at it and you kind of increase that, that discipline. So it's not easy. My heart goes out to anybody with ADHD. I know it's very difficult, especially if you're a young student, but I wish I got diagnosed a long time ago, but I don't regret having ADHD. I think it's a wonderful gift and I'm really embracing it. Well, when you said you do meditation, is something is that something that you did prior to the diagnosis or was that something you always known that you needed to do to help with whatever was you're dealing with this is actually prior to the diagnosis actually when i was in college i was uh, a communication major at concordia university in montreal and just so happens i was doing a documentary on an activist slash kind of like meditation guy and uh, i took some classes with this nonprofit organization that he was a part of and I really, really enjoyed it. 
you know, I used to meditate for 30 minutes a day for, I remember doing it for two months straight. And the level of connectiveness I felt with other people was astounding. I was so present, so aware, so in tune with everybody else. I still remember that feeling and it was crazy. Yeah. And that's why I'm slowly starting to incorporate it back into my life because I feel my brain sometimes is so, you know, it's bouncing off the walls. It's hyperactive in that sense. I can easily get distracted. But just taking 10 minutes out of my day, right off the top of my day, to let those thoughts just kind of, you know, let all those thoughts go and start fresh is just a really wonderful start of my day. So you, you also are a very accomplished martial artist. You do martial, you do Taekwondo, Muay Thai, is that is martial arts also a way for you to release the energy from your ADHD or is that, are they not connected or? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like hitting, hitting a bag and, and, and (laughs) hitting things (laughs) is a great release of, of, of stresses. So I don't know if it's, it's helpful for my ADHD. What I will tell you is that, yeah, I did Taekwondo when I was a kid growing up. I got really close to finishing my black belt but I kind of gave up because I kind of just wanted to spend time and hang out with my friends instead of spending three days a week practicing this, this martial art. And then when I was in Toronto, I got involved with Krav Maga and I gravitated towards it because it's a no-nonsense approach to fighting. It, there's no rules, you know, groin kicks, hammer kicks, hammer fists to the spine, eye gouges, throat punches. It's a really no-nonsense approach to self-defense. It's made for close quarter combat and to help you defend yourself against a really deadly situation, incapacitate your attacker and leave with your life. So that's why, that's why I enjoyed it. And I still enjoy doing it to this day because it's giving you that, that extra layer of confidence too. You know, I've been in a lot of dicey situations where I've in the past before knowing Krav Maga, I wondered if I would be able to protect myself and those my loved ones around me. But now that I have Krav Maga, I feel much more confident that I'd be able to handle situations. Yeah. So for, for our listeners, uh, Krav Maga is the martial arts for the Israeli Defense Force and other special forces units in Israel. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating that you gravitated towards that. I must have been also in achieving your black belt in, in that. I assume you also gives you an insight into cultures as well, other groups and how and important to them. Do you find that from your experiences, you do have an interesting insight into a lot of different cultures? Yeah, definitely so. But I wouldn't say only because of Krav Maga. I would say because of my upbringing. Like I was, my parents were born in Mauritius, which is a small island off the coast of Madagascar. And there's a huge South Asian population there. The predominant religions are Hinduism and Islam and a small Catholic population as well. And so that's part of my culture. The people that I, I, I were friends with in, in high school, very multicultural. But you're right, with Taekwondo, with Krav Maga, it's given me an insight on the, other, the ways different cultures had to defend themselves because of the realities of, of the, sus, the, the, the worlds that they were living in, because of the chaotic nature that, sorry, because the special forces in Israel had to, to learn Krav Maga for close quarter combat. It's a reality. I mean... Mm. You know, those soldiers could be attacked with knives, with guns. And fortunately, that's something that I've, I've learned through my teacher. My teacher actually was a, a corrections officer for 13 years. And so all the techniques that he's taught me, he's actually had to utilize in prisons in the United States, all across Canada. It's, I'm, 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 
I'm, you know, I'm, I feel, feel as though I'm fortunate to have that knowledge, but I would never want to inflict that kind of damage on somebody. And mm. I would never want to be in a situation where I have to use that kind of deadly force because no matter how much, you know, Krav Maga or martial arts you use, and if you're attacked with a knife or you're attacked with a gun, there's a good probability that you won't be able to, to survive. No matter how skilled you are, there's always that slight probability that, you know, something will go wrong. That maybe this guy who's attacking with a knife, maybe you'll be able to fend that off. But maybe he has three other guys waiting around the corner who will take you out. Mm. So, you know, it's not a chance for me to be like, I'm such a tough badass. <laughs> I'm going to kick. This is my time to shine. I'm going to kick you. No, I'm going to beat you, beat you up. No, if you want my wallet, you want my phone, I'll give you my phone. Because that phone is not worth the price of my, my life. Mm. The $200 in my wallet is not worth getting my, my fiance killed over. You know what? I can replace that. But if I'm in a deadly situation where, you know, it's a hostage takeover or it's some sort of, you know, something really severe, then yeah, I, I have the skills and knowledge base to defend myself, to try to get out and survive. But given the chance to run, man, I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, totally, I'm totally with you in that. Uh, so all this diff- these different experiences and cultural experiences and, like, and martial arts as well, I would imagine is helping you become a better actor and because you've seen more perspectives. So when you, and when you attended the George Brown theater school, what did you bring to the school and what did the school help you learn about the craft of acting that maybe you wouldn't have acquired otherwise? Huh? Interesting. You know, I was one of the only, I was one of my graduating. No, my graduating class was 17 students. We started off with 34 and there was maybe a handful of us who are people of color. So I think it's important for those institutions to have more people of color because, you know, our voices haven't been heard in this media landscape on those stages, on those TV screens. And it's important to teach those talented individuals that there is a home for you. There is a place. And if not, then it's up to you to create those, those spaces for yourself. Now, I loved George Brown Theater School. It was something that I needed, that I craved for, intense theater training. It was 10 hours a day, six days a week of speech, acting, movement, combat, dance, everything I wanted. Because I knew that if I was going to really give it a go, give theater a go, that I needed a hardcore training. And I joke around with a friend of mine on track who also has ADHD that we've peaked, we peaked in, in, in theater school because yeah. it was the most structure that we had to <laughs> stick to. And now yeah. that we're, you know, self-employed actors and with all the time in the world with no structure, it's really <laughs> difficult. And so, yeah, James Simon, who was the artistic director of, of George Brown Theater School when I attended, I still remember the orientation session that made me choose that school. And he said, we give you the the paint and the paintbrush, you know, the tools for your craft. And it's up to you which tool you like to use the most, you know. We, we, we just give you a plethora of, of tools that you could, you could, you could choose to, 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 to use and choose not to use. And that will determine how, what kind of what art you create. So, you know, it's the core of my training. And it's not the end. I'm, I'm still training other, other places and I still have a lot of room to grow. But I am uh, deeply indebted to that school and that training. So, so you would say that acting, maybe sort of like writing and art, is a perpetual learning process? Yeah, definitely. You know, 
just just because you're you graduate doesn't mean that there's 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 not uh, any more for you to learn. Uh, you're constantly growing. You're constantly changing. There's so much knowledge out there that you could just digest and use to create art with. So yeah, I by no means do I consider myself the god gift to acting, and that's why also I love being part of Star Trek because I'm surrounded by such talented professionals with you know years of experience over me. Like Michelle Yeoh and Sonequa Martin-Green, Anthony Rapp, Wilson Cruz. These are people who, who've had their own struggles to deal with. And it's such a blessing to be a part of that because not only are, do I consider them my friends, but I, I get to work with them each and every day, which is such a gift. So yeah, I'm, I feel as though I'm a perpetual student. That's what I consider myself. Well, like I said, whatever you've been learning has obviously been successful. Like I said, you've gotten a very good role in Star Trek Discovery. But if my memory serves... You, the character of Gen Reese was the character you played, Lieutenant Gen Reese. Mm-hmm. He first appears in the fifth episode of the series. Is that correct? Yeah, he does. He does. W- and, w- uh, was he meant to be recurring, or did he just? And did you? Did they just keep wanting to use you over and over again? You know, I to be honest, I can't say. They keep it pretty tightly wrapped. All these, all these things. What I will say is, I hope is once they saw me that they wanted more. But <laughs> <laughs> who knows? What I will say is that I came in the fifth fifth episode of the first season because the wonderful and uberly talented Rekha Sharma was the tactical officer. And spoiler alert: she unfortunately dies, gets eaten by a tardigrade monster. It happens. It happens. You know, <laughs> it's space and all, right? Yeah. So I, I took over the position as tactical officer, and man, it was it was such a trip coming on that bridge for the first time, being a fan and all. It was uh, it was a wild experience. And you know, four years later, we're we're shooting right now. We're shooting the fourth season. It's, it's been a life-changing experience, and I'm so blessed to have had these experiences in my life. Time and time again, there's been like moments where I just meet the right person to guide me in the right direction, to do the right project, to lead me to incredible people to surround myself with. So, you know, with this whole pandemic and with the state of the world at this present moment, I'm just really grateful to be a part of it all. Whatever happens, happens, but it's, it's, it's a real blessing. So if you're, you're shooting season four now, and as you mentioned, deaths in Star Trek Voyager, season three, we lost Giorgio, sort of. They are, you know, Commander Nan left. Ren was killed. Hmm. Are, are we sure? Is Lieutenant Reese guaranteed the season for season four to, like, to make it through? <laughs> they, apparently, Discovery likes to kill off their characters. So, so first off, it sounds like you've watched, you've watched quite a bit of Discovery. So. Oh, of course. I, every episode, most certainly. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. It's nice to, it's nice to hear. We have to chat one, uh, later on to see what you think, because I'm, I'm always curious about what fans think about the show, because okay. I'm such a fan as well of Star Trek in general. So to answer your question is, nobody is safe in space. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything. I'm just saying, you know, expect uh, the unexpected. As a Star Trek fan who's, you know, from watching the other series, these other series don't have a main character death count the way Star Trek Discovery seems to. Oh, uh, or, see at least, or at least a writing off limit to like Discovery has. And so like every character you do feel is in danger and you're like, no, 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 no. The character needs to survive the rest of the yeah. damn season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think... There's a lot of pros and cons to it, right? Like yeah. you, 
you, you, you feel as, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, to be honest. I remember <laughs> yes. watching the first season and I forgot, I forgot the father who dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? I remember, th- I remember reading the book before Game of Thrones came out, the TV series. And yeah. I remember throwing the book across <laughs> the room when he died. And also with the Red Wedding. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, dude, f this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's kind of exciting, right? Because you 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 get attached to these characters. You learn to love them, and when something horrible happens to them, it hurts that much more. But that's that's real life, right? You can't hold on to everything forever. Yeah, it it, it does help keep the tension live because you don't know when these characters are going to 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 leave you, and you appreciate them a little bit more. And your character of Lieutenant Reese does feel like it has been getting more development as the series has gone on. Do you feel that the character has given you or has given more opportunities now? And where would you want the character to go? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, as I told you before, like, I'm just really happy to be part of the show. It was actually like something that was on my vision board before I got the part. <laughs> and now I'm part of like Star Trek history, which is incredible. What I will say, I mean, I can't reveal much, but what I will say is that I remember being at the Las Vegas um, Star Trek convention maybe about two years ago, and the bridge crew and I were having a panel discussion with a large audience in attendance, and Oyen and I both said that we'd love to do more fighting on the show. And just so happens, Michelle Paradise, the showrunner of Star Trek Discovery, was in the audience, and she was taking notes. And she came up to us afterwards and saying, you know what, I took, I took a lot of notes and we're going to try to make these things happen. And there you go. Season three, Owen and I had this epic knife battle <laughs> in the mirror universe, yeah. which was just lovely, you know? And so I can't reveal much, but, you know, they're making, I know, I know a lot of fans out there. Like I, I, I read sometimes the message boards. I've tuned into some of the, the, the fan sites because I'm a fan as well. And so I know that the fans are craving for more bridge crew, for bigger storylines. And all I could say is you guys have to be patient. You know, Star Trek is in such good hands right now. Look at all the Trek that the fan base has at their disposal. Picard, Discovery, Lower Decks. They're going to get Strange New Worlds yep. with Anson Mount. You know, maybe a Section 31 with Michelle Yeoh. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I think it's been revealed. Oh, so. it, it's been announced um, a long time ago. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so if, you know, I, I, I can understand how maybe some of the diehard fans don't love Discovery. I could see your point, but there's so much Trek out there that we could all be excited about, you know? Mm. And a lot of diehard fans don't like Discovery because it's, it feels as though it's not TNG, you know, it's mm. not the same uniforms. It's not episodic kind of a storytelling. It's a, it's more of a long form, like uh, Deep Space Nine is what I heard. But there's so much Trek out there. It's well, in good hands. And for me, uh, to answer your question about Gen Reese, I don't know. I'd, I'd love, obviously, as an artist, I'd love to have more to do. But then again, like again, I'm just happy to be here and happy to be surrounded by people that I'm learning from, and not only becoming a better actor but becoming a better human, to be honest. Mm. So that's part of my artistry. And I'll carry that towards the next project that I'm on. So it's all good, man. So I know 30 minutes have passed, but if you don't mind, I have about three more questions. Yeah, yeah, dude, dude, I'm, I'm free all night. So if you want to <laughs> shoot the shit, let's shoot the shit. Go for awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And because you gave me that opening, I do want to go back and make a quick comment. The people, I, I think 
there seems that when the people who have issue with the changes to Star Trek, now that it's on CBS Access Star Trek, I don't think they are recognizing that it's not the same world either as it was when Next Generation was on and Deep Space Nine is on. Mm -hmm. And I think you do need shows that recognize the differences and bring in an audience who want to see those differences. It's the same universe you're entering them into, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think it's... Discovery is, has such strong female characters and mm-hmm. it's something that we've needed for decades in this media landscape, you know, and also the positive representation that it's doing for the LGBTQ community oh, yeah. is immense and it's important. And the issues that we've, we're talking about in season three with uh, non-binary and the trans community is, is so important. And so there's a tweet that I need to respond back to. Somebody messaged me. They're like, messaged me on, on, on Twitter about like, oh, don't, don't you feel as though Gen Reese is being muted? Don't you want strong Asian male representation? And I haven't gotten back to him because there's a picture that I want to send him. And I understand his anger and his frustration. I do. But there's other shows to, like Warrior, for instance, or Crazy Rich Asians. There's, there's, there's other places for that. And for now, like I'm, I'm happy to be a part of Star Trek Discovery. And I feel as though my involvement in Star Trek Discovery does provide positive re- representation for Asian men in general. But I feel, I, I understand people's frustration sometimes, but I think you have to see all the good that Star Trek is providing, as you said. And, and, I, and I agree with you 100%. I think how it's handling um, the characters, uh, the relationship between Stamets and Colbert, it's so perfectly handled that I think it does give a very positive message to those who are not only in the LGBTQ community, but those outside it and, and maybe who are outside it and need to see a good representation of the, the LGBT relationship to maybe change how their views have been on it. 100%. 100%. One thing, I know you're, this comes about my feelings for Discovery. I'm a, I was a wayward Star Trek fan for a bit. I, I was a fan of Deep Space Nine. I was a fan of the original Star Trek. But I wasn't, I had stepped away from Voyager at the end and, and Enterprise. But yeah. Discovery drew me back into, into the universe of yeah. Star Trek. And not only that, but it made me go back and rewatch Voyager and Enterprise and Deep Space Nine again, which I, I love this. I didn't mind that one. And I think it's a great way. Once again, it's a good entry point, I think, for once again, th- those who have not seen Star Trek, but enters through Discovery, which kind of has a feeling of Star Trek, yeah. but, a, a, a very, but, om- but a more modern version of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. You know, I came from the other side of things, actually. You say you started with Deep Space Nine. I started with Voyager, went back to... No, you know, my first introduction to to, to Star Trek was with the TNG customizable card game. Oh, wow. I I played that in elementary school, even before watching what TNG was. And then it took like a decade before I started watching Voyager and then went to TNG, watched all of Enterprise... And I'm making my way through TOS, which is a bit of a, <laughs> a grind. <laughs> and I haven't, seen, I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, although everybody tells me it's the best Trek out there. It, 
after the second, you gotta get about three seasons in before it grabs you. Oh, it, it, it is. It, 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 it took a while for it to find its identity. It went from yeah. kind of Star Trek Next Generation on a space station, which yeah. when you watch Next Generation, it really feels like it's on the space station anyway, because it yeah. all happens on the ship anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the holodeck and some weird mist in the, in the hallways or something like that. Yeah. But Deep Space Nine, it starts getting its voice and it starts taking some more risks. And the more risks it takes, the better it became until yeah. it eventually becomes a very deep, intelligent story. Yeah, I got to tune into it. I keep hearing that. You know, that that was part of the reason why I never gravitated towards Deep Space Mine because it it was a space station. Like, I missed the sense of exploration. Oh, yeah. I like, that's why I liked, you know, all the other iterations of Star Trek. But yeah, you're right. I got to give Deep Space Nine a go. And I'm planning to. But, you know, it's first world problems. There's so much TV out there. <laughs> exactly. You know, I still haven't touched Picard yet. Because mm. with my like ADHD OCD, <laughs> I'm a purist sometimes, and I want, I'm like, before I watch Picard, I need to watch TNG all over again <laughs> to get a good sense of what Picard's really feeling. Yeah, that's never gonna happen. I just got to dive into Picard it, and some Lower Decks and some Deep Space Nine. Believe it or not, there's very few references I think to the original Next Generation TV show. Okay, it can exist. I think outside it on some level, and I'm sure the fans who are a little more Purist and I am will say that Picard isn't part of Next Generation <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because they make enough changes that you, you can say they're not necessarily connected or alternate universe kind of thing. But it's worth watching. And I think going back to what you said about exploring, I think the smartest thing Discovery did was to f- take the ship into the far future. Mm. It, it was a brilliant look at uh, not only being able to explore other worlds, but you get to re-explore the Federation again. For the yeah. first time, Federation, it seems new to you if you if you watched the previous series. Now, suddenly, you can explore that world again as well. And it, it was an ingenious step, I think. Yeah, I mean, when I read, because we would get the episodes episode by episode. I, I, I When I started a season, I had no idea how it was going to end. And so when I read episode 13, and I knew that we were going to go into the future, or episode 15, I forgot how many episodes we had that season, I was excited like you wouldn't believe because as a Trekkie, you know, part of the, my love for Star Trek was seeing these new alien races, these new, the new technology, the new ships out there. I was geeking out. I was ready for what the future had entailed for all of us. Like I was super stoked. And yeah, you guys are in for a wild ride for season four, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I will say the one thing I would like to see more of in Star Trek Discovery is more new alien races mm-hmm. and more new technology. Because once again, I, I love the show and I think the ship is fantastic, but I would love to have seen them move, take a greater leap in what the technology is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see them explore that further. Yeah, patience, my friend, patience. <laughs> it's, it's hard. I mean, I guess we're, we're looking at what would be a year from now? Uh, well, we are shooting season four, so yeah, it's going to be a while before. Uh, I, I don't know the timeline. I can't. I can't give that information. But you know, we're we're in the midst of shooting right now. So, and I think what today was the season finale for season three. Correct? Yeah, I have not watched it. Yet. I got away from my wife to come home, so no oh, spoilers. I, yeah, yeah. I, I have to watch it with with my wife, which will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, but that's the unfortunate thing about the whole pandemic, right? It it put a real, you know, pause on a lot of on, on the world in general, and so we are slowly getting uh, back in the groove of things. 
but so. it must have been wonderful for streaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So when you're, you, you said you get, you, you get the episodes, the script for episodes right before they air. Are you, do you get only the ones you appear in or do you get every episode? No, 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 sorry. I mean to say that we, like at the start of a season, I'll get maybe, maybe the first two scripts out of, out of, cause, cause the writers are writing it as we're like, you know, as we're working on the first two episodes, they're probably writing episode seven or eight. It's not in the, it's not every, not the whole entire season is in the can. So they're constantly doing changes, updates, revisions, adding new characters or taking out some characters. So yeah, I, I, I like, for example, this season in season four, I only know up to season, I, I only know up to episode six so far. <laughs> I have no idea what's, what the season's going to look like. The amount of spoilers you know right now is amazing. <laughs> there, are, there are people out there who would pay money to get your information. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of friends who are, are Trekkies and I, and I can't tell them anything because obviously <laughs> I would lose my job, yeah, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. is really important to me. Uh, but also I think it's, it's, it's really exciting for people just to be surprised. Like who wants to be spoiled by who wants to have that kind of information beforehand? No fun. No but fun. can you say whether or not your character of Reese is going to get more screen time? I can't say anything. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair unfortunately, enough. unfortunately, what I can say is that we're shooting season four, which okay. should be a good thing to hear. Yeah, I think all I could say is have faith. I mean, if you love Star Trek Discovery, you're in for a real treat. If you're on the fence with Star Trek Discovery, please, you know, stay tuned. And, and, and I promise you, we'll pull you in. And for the haters out there, like, you know, that's fine. That's your opinion. There's other track out there to, to, please, to please you. Or, you know, there's the Orville. So, so. <laughs> so the, the, when I'm in these groups and they, I do hear the, you know, from the, the voice of the haters out there from Discovery. Yeah. I, I kind of, something I, I will often say is it's not every show has to be for you specifically. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's okay to say, well, this show then maybe is for a different audience, but that audience is good. You want that audience in your group of fans because it, it not only does it enlarge it and ensures its survival, yeah. but also once again, it's good to have these other people in your circle yeah. that you can talk to interact with and debate with. Yeah. You may not, you may not have known if it wasn't for that initial connection of a show or comic or whatever. hundred percent. And like you're, what I tell the haters is, you know, you, it's fine to have that opinion, but your, your trek isn't going anywhere, you know? All those episodes of TNG, TOS, you could rewatch it over and over again. So keep giving this new iteration of Trek a chance because at its core, we're still trying to live up to Gene Roddenberry's vision. It might look a little different to you and maybe it's because, you know, it doesn't affect you on a day-to-day. We're giving a voice to the voiceless and I think that's important and I think that's what Gene would have wanted. So yeah, stay, stay tuned. I think so. I think the people who disturb me the most are the ones who are who suggest that Star Trek shouldn't be political. Like Star Trek has been political since <laughs> the original yes. series. I mean, it was exactly it was inherently based on political ideas, and literally had the first interracial kiss in TV yeah. history. It yeah, is yeah. I don't understand the argument against it yeah. at all. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to you know. You know, it's it's hard with with like even the political landscape. It's hard to to 
to bridge the gap to mm. uh, get past and, 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 you know, change the mindset of somebody or actually not change the mindset. Cause that's, that's a bad way of phrasing things just to, just to have an, you know, an open friendly discussion about the pros and cons and see if we could meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't so, know. So for, to discuss a little bit of some of the previous episodes, just briefly, there was some indications with your character of Reese that there was some interest between Reese's character and Ensign Tilly. Yep. Though I think it was mostly on Reese's part. I don't think Tilly um, ever showed <laughs> any interest um, <laughs> at all. But it was in the episode magic to make the sanest man go mad. Was this, is this relationship something that you thought should be developed more or is this, was that kind of like a one episode thing that's not going to be, you don't think should be or will be revisited? I would never want to kiss Mary Wiseman. No. <laughs> I say that because Mary, I love Mary Wiseman like you wouldn't believe. And yeah. we have such a brother-sister relationship on and off the set. We're constantly making fun of each other, playing pranks on each other, just joking around. And like, like really mean-spirited comments to each other sometimes. All, all in, the, in the sake of fun because we have that kind of sense of humor. And I dig that about her. So, yeah, I'd, I'd totally be up for it, you know? Yeah, throw a little romance. It's always, it's always fun to explore. What? She's a fantastic, wonderfully talented, stellarly beautiful. Who doesn't love a redhead, <laughs> to, to be honest? <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Reese, Reese, bring it on. <laughs> uh, yeah. that, that's above my pay grade, though. So, you know. Uh, I mean, I was thinking back in Star Trek, and the, one of the only real functional relationships in the entire world of star trek is stamets and colbert mm. um everyone else has some sort of level of dysfunction <laughs> and i think you gotta have one more and tilly and reese sounds like a good one it does sound like a good one i mean you know you should you should start 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 uh saying that more to more and more people maybe it'll, it'll create a movement <laughs> see what, what, I, what i need to do is get the writers now on the show and then as the episode just can repeat over and over again my my, my own personal feelings of what i want to see <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, who knows, man? I mean, yeah, part of the part of the 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 the, the great thing about being on the show is like you're constantly surprised by the writing, by where they're taking the show. So I kind of like being in the dark of not knowing the entire season. Yeah, it keeps it fresh, keeps it entertaining, and it's also like not as distracting because I could commit. I don't have to worry about what happens to Reese in episode 12 when I'm only working on, see, on episode three. Mm. I'm along for the ride just like the viewers are when they get to finally see it. And I think that's a lovely thing as an actor, but also as a fan. Now, when the episodes do come to you, if you have, have, have has there been any, you want to give any specifics, has there ever been an issue where you mentioned that you want something changed or added and they either incorporated or didn't? Yeah, it happened this season, actually. And safe to say it was a change that I noticed in the writing I had to do with my character. And I think it's fine to say that I reached out to Michelle and be like, I think, can we change it to this? Because I feel as though Reese would think this way. And kudos to Michelle. She's lovely because she has always told us, you can always reach out to me if you have any concerns, questions. And so... I don't feel as though she's like my superior. Mm. I feel as though she's uh, a fellow artist who I can reach out to when I have these questions and these concerns. And immediately she said, that's a wonderful idea. Let's do it. Let's change it. And, she, and, and we did. So, you know, it, it doesn't come every day. I'll tell you that. Like I've been, I've, I've been around the circuit for a long, for a lot of years. 
And these experiences only happen like <laughs> once out of every, you know, five years, you get mm. a, a group of people that you love going to work with, the writers that you are, you know, incredibly impressed by, that you love working on their material. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm just, I'm just happy to be along for the ride, to be honest, wherever it takes me. I find it interesting. I think it happens more with the Star Trek crews, crew members than almost any other show where the fans really care whether or not the, the actors off the set are actually close or not. Mm-hmm. Like people argued all the time about the original Star Trek and how, you know, the issues that they had and how tight the Star Trek exploration group um, were and so forth and so on. What is the, are the members of Discovery as tight offset as they are on set? Well, I will tell you this, that Jonathan Frakes, who has directed us, you know, many, many episodes, and he's a fantastic director. And he's even told us, he's like, you guys remind me of the TNG cast. We are such a tight family. And a lot of that is, I believe, due to Sonequa Martin-Green. She is a true number one on the call sheet, but she's a true number one as a leader, as an actor, as, 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 a, as a cast member. She gives 100% of her passion and her love and her generosity to everybody that she comes in contact with. And that kind of energy trickles down across this entire, like this huge machine that we're working with. And so, I mean, we've had many a game night she loves playing mafia her <laughs> and her husband Kenrick. It stresses me out. Like you <laughs> but you know, we've had huge cast gatherings. Anson Mount, Sonequa, Anthony, Wilson, Ronnie, uh, Emily, everybody. We all attend these things because we like being in each other's company. Now now I know Anthony Rapp has a Dungeon and Dragon game. Is that something you take part in or no? Oh man, see, because of my ADHD. I, I reached out to Noah, Mary Wiseman's husband. No, actually, actually, I made a Twitter post about D&D because I remember I was watching E.T. the other day and I saw them playing a game right off the top. I knew it wasn't D&D, but it kind of reminded me of D&D. I think it was kind of like uh, Trouble or Trolls or something. Anyways, so I reached out on Twitter being like something about D&D and how I'd love to play one day. Noah reached out to me. I didn't know that he was a D&D master. He's like, let's get a game going once season four starts and he was on my case over and over again start creating your character and to be honest because my adhd i kept putting it off i had other priorities like building this gym in my house and some voice work that i do on the side and then (laughs) recently maybe a week and a half ago i committed i started creating my character he's gonna be a dragonborn character named koje he's gonna be a dragonborn monk I committed like two hours of my time. I reached out to Noah. I'm like, hey, man, I don't know if it's it's still cool, but can you add me on the list? I'd love to play. And I know Noah is 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 really busy, and he just told me that he doesn't have the bandwidth to incorporate another character at this time. <laughs> so you pretty much crushed my spirit, Noah. So I'm um I'm on the sidelines. I'm on I'm on the bench at the moment. But uh, I know he's really trying to find some time for me to come in. It's just well, a lot. Like I can't I can, I don't even know how to play D and D, but I can only imagine how much work the, the the dungeon master has to do to to make it enjoyable for everybody. So I don't want to be the guy who comes in and then the, the game is kind of like not as great as it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm completely fine with waiting. It's all in jest. Like I'll, uh, I'd love to play. I'll immerse myself once I'm invited, but I'm okay to wait and, 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 and wait for now. Well, 
I'm going to be interviewing Noah at the end of this month. So I'm going to bring it up. Be like, you know, where that? Why is Patrick not in the goddamn team? Yeah, yeah. You tell you tell that. You tell that <laughs> son of a. <laughs> Invite me into some D and D, man. Yeah, would, it, I'd be the only dragonborn monk amongst <laughs> your group. I could do things. I got skills, man. I got skills. <laughs> This whole thing will just be an ambush on Noah to talk about D&D and why you're not in the game. <laughs> if you don't want to talk to me, God damn it, talk about get Patrick in the game. We're done with this interview right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love I loved Noah. I mean, yeah, he's he's a great dude. And he did, su- he did such a great job this season as Rin. And like, he's also a diehard fan. I don't know how much, how much you've seen in his, his Twitter feed, but like he had like this compilation of, of him at conventions and him in costume and stuff. So you know, it was lovely that he could be a part of the show and he did some fantastic work and yeah. So have you started going through the Star Trek circuit? I imagine convention circuit prior to this whole, you know, disaster. Star Trek, Las Vegas, that creation entertainment puts on is, is a blast. (laughs) (laughs) I went in 2019 is my first time. It was my second convention because I did one in Houston, which was also very fun, but man, Vegas convention is the mecca of of Star Trek conventions. Uh, four day event, and going back to the fan base and how they care so much about the cast. Time and time again, people would come up to to me, like Lieutenant Gen Reese, who didn't have a lot of things to do in the first season mm-hmm. by any means, but they knew my name. They said, "Welcome to the family." You're part of the family for life now. Anything you need, let us know. Oh, that's awesome. Hugs, taking pictures. I mean, these are people who are paying their hard-earned dollars for my autograph, for my photograph, for a chance to take part of a panel. And that is just such a gift. And whenever I meet these people, I'm like, here, here, take all of me. Anything you want, any questions you need answered, I'm here for you because you are giving so much of, of who you are, your love for this franchise, that the least I could do is to give you my undivided attention. Mm. Um, and like, like I have a job because of all these people, you know, without the fans, there would not, there would not be a show. So my heart goes out to all the, the, the Trekkies out there. I'm glad that you support the show. I'm glad that you love the show. And Please, if you if you ever come to a convention and you see me and you've heard this podcast before, then you know just like let's chat. Yeah. Well, well, I would love if you would come to one of the Northeast Combo conventions. Like I said, as a fan, I would love to get an autograph of yours. So definitely, Ronan Comic Con, Terrific Con, Boston Comic Con, come to one of those. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so, well, the, so I can get in line. <laughs> yeah, man. The best way to reach out because all these conventions, like you, peep, the fans have to request. The fans really have to request who they want. To, 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 to get there in attendance. So if there's a lot of demand for Gen Reese or if there's a lot of demand for the bridge crew as a unit, then just, just, just reach out to these conventions and they'll bring us down. So yeah, I'm always up for coming to a convention. I love, I love conventions because I get to explore the city. I get to eat the great food. Fans, <laughs> it's, it's such a wild ride. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's such a, a, a bonus to being part of Star Trek. So for our listeners, you heard, you heard Patrick, annoy your local convention, get him on your damn convention. And that goes double if you're a Rhode Island Comic Con, Terrific Con, or Boston Comic Con. You heard me. Do it. Yeah, do that. And also message Noah and tell him that Patrick wants to play some D&D. <laughs> that, that, that part's true. We're going to start um, hashtag get Patrick in the game. The worst thing is like, I'm going to play my first session and I'm going to be like, 
I don't really like this kick. <laughs> or I just ruin it for everybody. No, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm such a diehard nerd deep down that I think I'm really going to gravitate towards it. Part of the thing that I'm worried about D&D is like, like I'm an introvert at heart, to be honest, with an yeah. extrovert personality sometimes. And so the whole performance aspect of D&D, I don't, I don't know if I want to talk and, and behave like my character all the time. Is that, is that part of it? Uh, see, this is <laughs> how newbie I am to, to D&D. I, I've never played D&D in my life. That's an honest okay, thing to okay, say. Okay. It's one of those games that I've always felt that I should be playing because I'm, I'm a huge nerd and geek, yeah. but I've never actually had the friends enough to play. <laughs> so, so I never had like D&D friends, but I always, I always thought that was a game I should be playing, but I've never gotten around to it. But I've heard Anthony Rapp discuss it and I felt that Patrick should be on the damn game. <laughs> though, though if you do get in the game and, Pat, and uh, Anthony uh, Rapp um, tweets that you ruined it for everybody, I'll be very disappointed <laughs> in you. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony was the one who reached out to me via text because Anthony and I go back. Like we, Anthony and I like, love playing Texas Hold'em poker and we've gone to you know, several competitions together. So we've had many a heart to heart. So he texts me every now and then. And he's like, you know, you got to come into the game. It'd be nice to get some fresh blood into this game. And so that was the nudge I needed to start creating my character. So, you know, I'm, I'm in no rush. It's all in jest. Take your time, Noah. I know you have a lot on your plate, but yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. It's, oh. it's crazy, man. So when I, I do ask you a couple more questions. I read on your Twitter that you are supplying voice work for a new animated series. Can you share what animated series that is? Oh, man. I don't think I can because oh, it hasn't no. been re- revealed yet. Yeah. What I will say, it was uh, a show that I watched when I was a kid growing up. Okay. I have to sing in it. I'm a guest star in it. It was super fun. I've been doing a lot more voice lately, which has been such a lovely gift. I'm, I can say that I've been doing a lot of, Kia, you know, the car, Kia. So I'm the voice of, of Kia commercials here in Canada. So well, I have cool. that as a side gig. It's a really lovely gig to have, but I'm doing a lot more animation stuff. I'm in the running for, oh man, this would be amazing. I can't even reveal that. This is the, the curse of being an actor. <laughs> you, can, you have all this like pent up <laughs> energy because you're hoping for all these things. But I'm in the top two for the lead of a, an animation series nice. that if I said the name, everybody would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, okay wow okay yeah yeah and so that's part of what i love about this career it's kind of like it's kind of like you have all these like scratch tickets like you're you're so close to something that's phenomenal phenomenal obviously the rejection is is really awful too mm. but that's the nature of the beast right you can't so, win everything while you can't say the name of the show or probably the franchise can you mention if it's network streaming or in some other way so <laughs> To, to get a sense of where this could end up being. Nope. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even say that, unfortunately. Yeah. Patrick is in bad. witness protection program. <laughs> yeah, man. My hands are tied. Yeah, I'm usually terrible with secrets too, but when, yeah. when it's my job on the line, like I, I, well, I tell a lot of people. When, when, you're, when you are able to announce these things that you're doing, I do hope you get in touch with me so we can have another episode so we can discuss it. Oh, dude! Yeah, anytime. This was this was uh, really fun. It's always good to to meet new people and to you know shoot the shit with new people. Yeah, anytime, man. Reach out. Thank you so much. You are absolutely awesome. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Hey, no problem, Jeff. And we're back. Pontificate. 
pontificate. It's a good word. You use, you use it quite a few times in the last uh, year or so on, on just for that same exact reason. Have I now? That's funny. Yeah. I don't yeah. realize you know, it. Uh, you know what I liked about this interview? Um, so as you know, we have, you know, what, four or five interviews on the show that do stuff. We have, you know, yep. you, we have Casey, we have Jeff, we have Melissa, we have sometimes I do them, right? But what right. I like about us is there's such a dynamic in how we interview and our backgrounds. Because like this one was perfect for Jeff to do because, you know, Jeff is a teacher, right? And he teaches right. with um, kids and, and that are high risk or whatever, you know, for high school. And, you know, the fact that uh, Patrick Kwok-Chun has been open about his di- recent diagnosis of ADHD and how that affects him and, and the platform he's on. And they were, able to, they were able to have that conversation at a level that I don't think you and I could have had because of what Jeff does in just background on this interview. Oh, I could have had that level. <laughs> well, I mean, sure, because you can do everything, but in reality, in re- the real world. Well, thank you, thank you. No, you can just quit right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. It's 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 kind of nice. Well, it's just everybody's life experience is different, and so you bring a different thing to the table. Yeah, and it's it's really nice. It's it's cool. I, yeah, I, I, I like, like it I like too. hearing it. This is this was a good interview. I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, they had they they I didn't. It's it's kind of the episode, but after they talked for a little bit and. Uh, Patrick was like, yeah, man, let's, let's shoot, let's shoot the shit anytime. Cause it was, it was really cool. So they had, they had a good time. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I think we come to the point of the show where I like to implore you to go to spoilerverse.com because if you're still here, that means you really liked what you heard and you want to hear more. And you can do that by going to spoilerverse.com and checking out our back issues. And you'll be shocked of the people that we've had on the show. Um, you will be. You know, some great people from all walks of life, from movie stars to directors to TV actors. I guess, I don't know if there's a real big difference nowadays between a movie star and a TV actor. I don't think um, so. That's a big star. Uh, we also have had lots and lots of comic books from people who work at the big three to we've even had Tom Brevoort on. Yeah. Which was incredible. And me and him geeked out on Star Blazers together. So that was a lot of fun. All the way down to, to lonely little writers like Kevin Joseph. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but I'm going to step back because John is going to tell you about all the other cool things that we got going on. Yeah, man. Not only do you have all of our back issues, we have the back issues of all of our other sister shows like Bridge in the Geekdoms, Funny Book Forensics, and Nerd from the Crypt, and all those fun stuff. And if you want to hear me talk more, uh, you can listen to me on YTC Radio or Have Has Adventures, which is all on the website, all for you to check out well over a thousand episodes total all inclusive of all of our shows up there for free to listen to and there's articles and reviews and previews and tons of fun stuff up there at spoilerverse.com you to check out and there's a store link to click on to buy a t-shirt a face mask a hoodie or something look fly as hell help support the site help us to keep doing what we're doing to provide it for you without any cost to you heck yeah heck yeah get me out of my day job please yeah Kendrick wants to quit his day job so just go buy like a thousand a thousand hoodies no. Yep. So does so does so does Johnny though. <laughs> yeah, some yeah yeah not not quite as not quite as as, as it's not that I want to quit my day job. That's that's a misnomer. I, I love my job. <laughs> it's I just want to do this right that much more. This is so much exci- more exciting. Yeah, well, it's just a lot more fun and yeah, I feel like we could just die more happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the goal. I think that's what life is for. Is how do you die? Do you die in a happy state or you die miserable? Yeah, I think dying happy would be better. Right? Yeah. And you guys go. All right, guys. I think that's a show <laughs> on a weird 
just downward spiral of a turn there of <laughs> how you should die in life, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but before we go on our other watch thing, let's remind people to go over to scpod.us slash discord and join our public discord server and come chat with us. There you guys go. All right. Don't forget, in oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. <laughs> and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. Go ahead, read more. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Patrick's thing. He was in a movie or a TV show called The Tonshin Tubs of Terror, Rock the Pussy. Rock the Pussy. <laughs> I bet he did. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.